Hey, this is Rob. This is Eric. And you're listening to the Start Good Things podcast. This is season two. And you might be wondering, who are you? Well, that's a great question. With a simple answer. Yeah. In fact, we're believers. Yeah. Like in Jesus, uh, we believe he's, he's everything and he's worth following with everything. And we believe in other things too. We believe in a better future. And we believe in and we're for humanity. And though we're ordinary, we believe obviously that there are things that are far more extraordinary. In fact, we believe that ordinary people working together can accomplish extraordinary things. So we started this podcast to both inspire and hopefully equip you to start good things of your own. Uh, Let's get on with today's episode. Today we're looking at some of my favorite material we use in our community to help people start good things. Now these next four episodes deal with something we call advance, where you will be encouraged to make a choice, take a chance, and create a change. What we're going to do is, for the next few minutes, I want to kind of immerse you in this idea of your uniqueness. And, you know, as someone of faith, I definitely have a bent. I believe that you were created on purpose and with a purpose. And you see this throughout uh, the scriptures, that there's this idea that God created Jeremiah and says, I know the plans that I have for you. And so I want us to, with an open heart, open mind, consider that there's things about you that make you uniquely you. There are fingerprints that show that you are unique. Uh, But more than that, and I think once we start to understand who we really are, we're actually better able to find and live out our purpose. Um, When I first came in in contact with the Strengths Finder, that was uh, one of the, I'd been familiar with Myers-Briggs, but the Strengths Finder was a new thing for me in about 1999. And I remember when I received my results, I was very disappointed. I did not like what I saw on the paper as my strengths. And it really bothered me. So I went up to the guy who was walking us through it. His name was Dr. Chip Anderson. He was one of the creators of the Strengths Finder. And I said to him, I'm really disappointed. Everybody on this team has things like ideation and strategic, and I have woo. <laughs> and this other one at the time was called stimulator which sounded like a relational laxative. It was not what I was going for. I was very disappointed. And so he looked at me, he said, well, Eric, you remind me of Michael Jordan playing baseball. Now, at first it sounded like a great compliment, being compared to Michael Jordan, but then it took a terrible turn. Some of you are too young to know this, but Michael Jordan was not a good baseball player, but he was probably the greatest basketball player to ever live. And he looked at me and said, Stop trying to play baseball and start playing basketball. So if you can figure out what you're good at instead of trying to be someone you're not, find out what makes you uniquely you, you actually have the capacity to better love people, to better even connect with God. And so today, tonight, this time is going to be about just your personality, just looking at your Myers-Briggs. Now, when you took the assessment, how many of you would say of the four letters, All four absolutely described me. All right, just a few of you. Any of you say three of the four seemed like me? Anyone just two of the four? Anyone say, I don't even think this was me? All right? If you didn't take it, it's totally okay. I'm going to walk you through something right now that can help you with that. Uh, If you registered before, like Wednesday, Thursday, I sent you an email that has the link. I'll send you that link as well as other resources this week. So if this is the first time you've heard of it, how many of you have already taken Myers-Briggs like at work or school? This is a pretty common one, so it's okay if you didn't. 
but I'll walk you through some things that I think might help you along the way. The packet of material that you have with you is, I want you to think of it as um, your takeaway. So I'm not going to dive, we're not going to walk through all of it. It's more to go with you as you go so that you can do a deeper dive in figuring out more about who you are. But, but I w will point out that there is this, um, basically, this was created by Carl Jung, G-A-U-N-G, Swiss psychologist, 19, early 1900s. And he basically just started to notice that people looked externally for energy or internally for energy. Right? He started to see that people make decisions differently. People come to closure differently. Uh, people look at different information. And so he tried to kind of organize how we might interact with each other. And then uh, Catherine uh, Myers and Isabel, sorry, it's actually Catherine Briggs and Isabel Myers created the assessment that was based on his psychology, these temperaments. They were a mother and daughter duo. And they were basically trying to mobilize women into the workforce while men were fighting during World War II. So that's how the Myers-Briggs was really created. So figuring out uh, which of these uh, four different categories, and then they combine into 16 different options, uh, that's the essence of who your, your personality would be described as. Now, the way this is uh, taught when I was trained in this, they would tell you that you are born a particular personality. And you spend your life growing up trying to figure out who you are. So even some of the differences you may have found in the results and who you think you are could be because when you answered the question, you didn't answer with what you preferred. You answered with what your mom preferred or your boss prefers. And there are certainly things that you can do to... Um, you know, that are not what you prefer. We can all do that. In fact, just for a moment, if you want to, uh, let's pretend for a second. Someone comes up to you, and they want your autograph. You're the best accountant they've ever heard of, or you're the best teacher. You're, they want your autograph. So on the back of the last sheet of paper, uh, just sign your name, okay? Just sign your name like you're being asked for an autograph. All right, everybody have a chance to do it? Mm -hmm. All right, switch hands and sign your name again. <laughs> All right, now to add more embarrassment to your experience, show your neighbor. <laughs> So now that you've embarrassed yourself, you remember we're among friends. What happens in this room stays in this room. Uh, but let's describe the first experience. What was it like to sign with your normal writing hand? What were your emotions? How did it feel? Unconscious. Unconscious. Natural. Natural. Automatic. Automatic. Easy. Comfortable. Comfortable. How did it feel with the opposing hand? Awkward. Awkward. Didn't even try. Challenging. Impossible. Illegible, right? <laughs> did it, it was hard. Did you go back? Did you find yourself like feeling like you were in third grade again? Yeah. Trying to do the cursive R? I've never been able to, and that's in both my first and last name. And I never could do that cursive R, right? There's something about using the opposing hand. You can do it, but it takes more energy. It wears you out. It's awkward, 
right? And so when you start operating in an area that's actually not your preference, you can do it. Some of us, for our work, for our, what we do in our homes, we operate with an, basically the opposing hand, so to speak. You can do it, but it will wear you out. Now, what is powerful, and we'll talk about this more with StrengthsFinder next week, but one of the things that was really fascinating is they were trying to figure out what, makes, what are the strengths that make the most effective CEOs. And if we can figure that out, then we'll hire people with those strengths. But what they discovered was none of the effective CEOs had the same strengths. But they all did have one thing in common. They all knew what they were good at and worked with, teamed with, hired people who were strong in areas where they were weak. So if you and I can know what we're good at, what gives us energy, what is actually natural for us, and then partner with others to do the parts that we're not as good at, we'll actually be far more productive, effective, resourceful. All right? So as I mentioned earlier, we're going to go through four of these dichotomies. And if you already received the results and you know it's you, that's great. If you're still not sure, play along a little bit and see if maybe these few questions will help you. All right? So there is the first category, which is all about energy. So the key word is energy. If you're taking notes or you want to, you can write it right above the words extroversion and energy. I mean, introversion, just write the word energy. All right? Again, you can just dive into this more later if you want to. But the idea here is, at the end of a long week, would you rather spend time with other people, because that brings your energy back up, or would you rather be on your own, or just with your spouse, or just with a a close friend. The, the results of your thoughts on that will determine whether you're an extrovert or introvert. Let me give you a few more. All right, so consider what energizes you the most? Interacting with others, that's E, or being by yourself. Energizes you the most. Others, by yourself. Okay, next one. Where do I focus my energy? The outer world of people and things or the inner world of ideas and thoughts? So if you want to, you can do a little tally, E versus I, okay? Next one, which do you perform more, prefer more, to be around others or spend time by yourself? All right, next, would I rather work on several projects at the same time or focus on one task? Okay, a little harder. Next, am, are you more comfortable acting first then thinking about it? or thinking things through before you act on them. Okay, let me ask you, if you look at your assessment results, you do the little tally right now, how many of you would say, you know what, I think I am an extrovert? Raise your hand, all right? How many of you say, okay, you know what, I'm an introvert? Okay, uh, almost 50-50 in the room. What percentage of Americans do you think are extroverts? 70, 40. 40, it's actually 50%. Really? Now, Americans are known for being louder, <laughs> right? Which I should indicate, or make sure you, it's clear, you can be an extrovert and socially awkward. You can be an introvert and socially adept. This has nothing to do with social skills. It has everything to do with energy, right? How you gain energy, from the external world or the internal world, okay? So 50% of Americans are extrovert, 50% are introverts. Uh, but in school, right, we kind of reward extroverts. 
Right? You, you ha you're almost made to be an extrovert. In some classes, other classes, they, maybe they, they let you do kind of the more on your own, but when you have to work in a group or when you have to get up and do presentations, it's almost assumed everybody should be an extrovert. Okay? All right, the next one's a little harder to gauge. It's not as common to our language, but this key phrase or word is information. When it comes to sensing versus intuitive, the key word is information. What information are you looking at? Okay? So if you want to do a little tally, put a little S and a little N. Uh, N because we already did I for introvert. So N, S or N. All right, so answer this question. Do you usually pay more attention to facts and details? That's S. Or do you try to understand the connections or underlying meaning or implications? That's N. All right, the next one. Are you more down to earth and sensible or imaginative and creative? That's N. All right, next. Which do you trust more, your direct experience or your gut instinct? Okay, next. Are you more tuned in to the here and now or do you often imagine how things will affect the future? All right, next. Do you like practical ideas or do you like new ideas for the sake of just being a new idea? Okay, two more. Would you rather use an established skill or do you become bored easily after mastering a skill? And finally, do you know where everything is located or do you often lose your car keys? Okay, let me just pause. How many of you would say, doing this assessment, knowing this from before, I am an S? All right, S. How many of you say, I'm an N? Yeah, if you're slight, okay, if you're like kind of real close or in the middle, it could be this was something you were raised not to be. And so you've been trying to be who you are, but your parents have been trying to raise you to be someone you're not. All right? Um, what percentage of Americans do you think are sensing? This, these are, by the way, another way to describe it is the information that sensing people see is that which they see, taste, touch, feel, right? It's through the senses. Whereas intuitives are more seeing connections, implications, uh, connecting the dots. How many would say, I am sensing? Do that again. And intuitive? Okay, what percentage of Americans do you think are sensing? What did you say? Ah, 75. Well done. This one is the most, uh, there's the more disparity in this one than any other. So S's make up most of America. Uh, but what's interesting, when I do a class like this, it's mostly intuitives, because intuitives love classes like this. <laughs> yeah. Right. So there's another couple exercises you can do. And again, this could be because you're raised not to be something. I grew up in Texas. Any of you grew up in Texas? Okay. I grew up in Texas. My dad is an S. My mom is an S. My younger brother is an S. All my grandparents are S's. Everyone in my family I'm related to is an S, except for one cousin. She's much younger than me. Her name is Rebecca, and she's an intuitive. And her parents 
grew, rose, you know, basically raised her assuming she had learning differences. And I think it's just because she's intuitive. <laughs> I remember when she was four years old, she's 30 now, so this is probably a story I should never share again. But when she was four years old, her mother, again, a good mom, gave her a list of things to do. She says to her, after she comes out of the bathroom at my grandmother's house, Rebecca, did you remember to do those four things when you were in the bathroom? And Rebecca thinks for a second and says, I forgot to wipe. <laughs> she remembered to put down the toilet seat. She remembered to flush. She remembered to wash her hands. But this little four-year-old, intuitive, was given a list of details. But for her, if you had talked to an intuitive and said, when you go in there, make sure you take care of what you need to take care of and come out cleaner than when you went in. Right? That's a more intuitive way to describe. Uh, everyone in my family is an S. Uh, and so I remember when I was uh, about 18 years old, my dad says, why don't you drive to Dima's house? Now, that's my grandmother, what we call my grandmother. She lived in San Antonio. We were in Dallas. I say, sure. I back out of the, the driveway the wrong way and start heading west. And my dad said, where are, you, where are you going? And I was like, oh, I wanted to show you. I don't know if you know, the Berman's house is for sale, which was true, but that's not why I turned that way. I make my way to the freeway, go the wrong direction on the freeway. I went east when I was supposed to go west, and he's like, what are you doing? And I finally just confessed, Dad, I have no idea how to get to Dima's house. <laughs> and my punk brother, who had his permit, 15 years old at the time, says, I know how. So we pull over to the curb, you know, the side of the road, the shoulder. I had to make the walk of shame from the front of the minivan to the back of the minivan, while my brother got in the front and drove all the way to Dima's house. He knew all the details that I just did not know how to do. But I think I was born in the right time in history because now I have a GPS. Right? <laughs> but sensing people are just good at things like that. But you can see how conflict can come when an intuitive sees something completely different than a sensing person. Um, if I was holding a rose, those of you who are sensing people, uh, what do you see? If I'm holding a rose, use your imagination. What would you say you see? A red rose. What else? What do you see when you're looking at a rose? Okay, yeah, yeah, you switched on me. Someone else sensing a stem, thorns, petals. So if I'm holding it and you're intuitive, again, you're in between. What do you see? You see love. No, you're right. So an intuitive person literally does see a rose and they see love. They see the bachelor, which may make them feel hate. I don't know. Uh, or maybe you see prom. Right? It literally, you see something and your mind jumps over to something else. You are not lying. You see love. But a sensing person is like, you cannot see love. You see a rose. So actually, the information we're gathering is different, which can lead to conflict. Now you can see the power if you're teaming with somebody who sees different things than you see, and you trust them and they trust you, you're actually able to see everything. And if you trust each other, right? Okay. Let's do the next dichotomy. 75% are sensing in and 25% are intuitive. All right? The next the category, the key word is decisions. How do you make your decisions? All right? So you're looking out in the external world and you're gathering information and then you're wanting to come to closure, which we'll get to in a moment. How do you make that decision? Okay? Put a little T or put a little F. If you are a thinker, you'll, you'll resonate with the first part of the question. A feeler will resonate with the second part. So do you make decisions more objectively, weighing pros and cons, 
or based on how you feel about the issue and how others will be affected by it. Next, which words describe you better? Logical and analytical or sensitive and empathetic? Next, is it more important to be truthful even if it hurts someone's feelings or to be tactful even if it means telling a little white lie? All right, which usually persuades you more? A good logical argument or a strong emotional appeal? Okay, finally, which is a greater compliment, to be tough or to be tender? Okay, let me ask you, how many of you, according to this assessment we just did or online or in the past, would say you make decisions as a thinker? Raise your hand. Thinker. All right. How many of you ra would raise your hand saying you make a decision as a feeler? Okay. Excellent. Also split down the middle in the room. What percentage of women in America are feelers? 90. 90, 100. Far less than that. No, 60%. 60% of women are feelers. But that means 40% of women, four out of every 10 women, make decisions on how, what makes the most sense, what's most logical. Now, uh, from Myers and Briggs days all the way to the present, this is the one category they've never been able to eliminate the gender bias. Right? So, because, you know, we assume 90, 100% of women are feelers, and actually that's not true. If you're in between on this one and you're female, you're probably a thinker but was raised to be a feeler. Okay? What percentage of men make decisions based on thinking, logic? What percentage of men in America? 50%. 70, 80. Yeah. <laughs> It's closer to 60%. Again, same dilemma. We cannot break that gender bias. Guys, if you're in between, more than likely you're a feeler who was taught not to be. Now, you can imagine in the midst of this you know, conversation, we've said this a couple times, if you were raised to be someone you are not, the unintended, perhaps, message we heard is who you are isn't okay. Right? That's not necessarily what your parents meant. They may not have understood some of these personality differences. My parents, you know, sure made fun of me for not knowing how to drive to Dima's house, uh, but they didn't know any better. They didn't know an intuitive. Mm -hmm. By the way, this is interesting. Uh, raise your hand again if you're an intuitive. How many of you intuitives moved to Austin from somewhere else? Okay, almost everyone but one. Uh, this is a blue dot in a red state. Right? A lot of times, sensing people are in the red states and the red part of the state, and intuitives move to more intuitive blue cities or blue coasts, just so you know. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah. Uh, when I would do this in Los Angeles and I would ask who's an intuitive in the room, it'd be like 9 out of 10. Mm -hmm. And then I'd say, how many of you moved to L.A. from the Midwest or the South? And it was 10 out of 10, mm -hmm. you know, all of them. And so part, that's part of this journey is trying to figure out who you are regardless of where you grew up and who raised you, kind of being okay with who you are. Now, my father-in-law, six foot two, 220 pounds, big dude, and he has a hook instead of a right hand. So when I first met my father-in-law, I went up to shake his hand like an idiot, 
and realized, oh my gosh, he stuck his hook out, which kind of scared me. And uh, then he laughed at me. It was a very awkward beginning. <laughs> and this was about the time, some of you might remember this uh, movie called The Fugitive. And the bad guy in the movie had a hook. And my, my father-in-law would, according to my now wife, would go watch that movie. He went and saw it multiple times and would just sit in the back row with his hook hanging off the side of the chair just to see people walk by and jump, right? <laughs> so, but this six foot two, 220 pound guy with a hook, and he lost his arm in the Vietnam War, uh, when he was asked by his daughter, my wife, Dad, would you describe yourself, or she, was, she asked him, if you, Dad, do you let your head rule your heart or your heart rule your head? And he says, well, I hope I let my heart rule my head. He's a big teddy bear. He's more about being tender than being tough, right? And so he makes decisions on how does this affect people. That's a feeler. My mother-in-law makes decisions based on how, what is most logical, right? So opposites often attract but you can see growing up, my, my wife would go to her mom for certain things and for her dad for other things. And it was just maybe different than most families. All right? Next and final. All right? And we'll have a chance here in a moment to kind of personally reflect. And then we'll get into small groups and discuss. But the last word is organizing. So say again, you're looking out at the external world. You're gathering information and you want to come to closure. A J, they want to come to closure, come to judgment. Whereas a perceiver, they want as much information as possible before they have to decide. Okay? So J versus P are these two. Let me walk you through a few questions if you want to do the little tally for J and P. Here's how it works. Here we go. Do you tend to make most decisions quickly and easily? Or does making decisions often make you anxious and unsure? All right, next, would you rather have things settled and decided or be able to leave your options open just in case something unexpected comes up? Okay, next, is it very important for you to be in control of most situations or are you comfortable letting others call the shots? All right, next, are you very conscious of time and almost always punctual? Or do you frequently run late and find time has somehow slipped away? Two more. Which is more true of you? You're generally very organized or you often have trouble finding things and staying organized. All right. Finally, do you have a calendar and to-do list or do you prefer post-it notes or nothing at all? Okay. Oh, let me give you one more. One more that might help. Which is truer of you? You prefer to get your work done or chores done before you relax, or you can often find compelling reasons to put a task off until later. All right? How many of you would say, I am a J? Raise your hand. Any J's in the room? All right. Any P's? P's in the room. Okay. What percentage of Americans do you think are J? 70. It's kind of a value, again, when you're growing up in school, it, you're measured by being a J, but it's 50-50, 50-50. A lot of times, kindergarten through high school tends to be run by ESTJs, and college on up tends to be more intuitive. 
Well, you've been listening to Season 2 of the Start Good Things Podcast, where both Eric and I are excited to share with you some of the resources and people we've come across on our journeys over the past 20 years. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go start something good.